It's a new day, and summer's here. Semper us to hit the road and face our fears. In the car now, we'll make it somehow. Take a giant step toward dangers from Hey, this is Russ Bain with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 99, gaming with a full table. And with me, as always, is Mr. Dob George. How you know, are you, Dob? You know, Ross, I enjoyed your announcer voice today. Oh, wow. That's... It was good. You know what? It it's been a while. touched me in here. Oh, yeah? And I'm touching my chest, by the way. Yeah. You, you can't and, see and that. you don't have a heart condition. You don't, That's true. You don't have any heartworms or anything. Or parasites. No. Yeah. All right. So no, because... Uh, Genuine emotion. Yeah. Well, I was, I just, just came back from New York City, and that city, unlike a lot of people, puts me in a calm, happy mood. All right. That's to the point you don't that I. I live there. That I, yeah, well, obviously I left. Yeah. But yes, I came back, and your voice didn't bother me. It actually felt, it was good. Okay. It was good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I'm. That's for you. Yeah, okay. I, I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners back, uh, back uh, at home do, too. Uh, or either that or they're screaming, why is everything upside down? Yes, well, I'm sure we'll hear about it in the comments. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, this episode is going to be talking about uh, two topics that have recently hit up. Uh, gaming with a full table, uh, gaming with large groups, and also gaming with new players. We have found some new people in the Springfield area to join the RPPR uh Crew, posse, whatever. That's, our, that, our numbers are growing, man. Yes. <laughs> um, Soon we will be a franchise. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, talking, introducing them into the 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 glory that is the role playing game hobby. Uh, their experiences. Uh, so, uh, hobby lifestyle. Okay. Cross. Okay. So, um, all right. Uh, so that. Experiences may vary, so yeah, and line worldviews may vary. Yes, there we go. Uh, but first off, some news. Uh, so, uh, if in case you haven't been on the RPPR side uh, recently, I've been. I I also went on a trip. I went to PAX East in Boston a couple he weeks did. ago, and I was there as part of my uh, job. I work for Pixels Copic, and I uh, am a level designer for their <laughs> video game Delver's Drop, which is an action RPG with roguelike elements. You should totally buy it when it comes pre-order out. Pre-order it. You can pre-order it now and get a playable alpha of the game. It's only fifteen bucks. Uh, so uh, Dylan Ross and you. The anyway uh, through. Uh, so I was there helping them out with their booth, uh, promoting the game. But I also had some free time, so I went around and recorded some panels. Of uh, played some games. Yeah, I played Hotline Miami too. It was pretty nice. It was very. It was very good. It's basically Hotline Miami with more. Was, oh but I, you know what? When you say I fail to see the downside, I know exactly. It's more Hotline Miami. I, I exactly. And what else did I play? I play Darkest Dungeon, which I'll talk about a little in the shoutouts. A Lovecraftian themed uh, dungeon crawling uh, turn based RPG. But I recorded these panels. Uh, one on board game design and crowdfunding. Uh, two on RPGs and including industry luminaries as Ryan Dancy, uh, Mike Merles, uh, and Luke Crane. Um, and so you can take a listen to those, and they've already generated a lot of discussion both on our site and on Ian World and RPG.net about some of the controversial comments made by some of these luminaries. Ooh. Um, Controversy. Yes. So, uh, which is what the RPG industry needs. <laughs> it's so, what keeps it's it's what keeps the world going around. Yes, clearly that Besides is. Besides money. Yes, clearly. Yes. Um. So anyway, um, 
We are uh, also proud to announce that uh, Caleb's adventure uh, for Eclipse Phase, The Devotees, uh, is now out. You can go, buy Caleb. It. Yes, yeah. you can buy the PDF. You can buy or buy print-on-demand version of it. It is a rather complex adventure uh, dealing with the nine lives, criminals, and again, they're they're happy people. Yes, we have a playtest of it. Uh, on our actual play site, which I will link to in the show notes. Uh, so dark. Yes. Uh, so you can uh, check out his writing, and uh, he it it is one of those games. Awesome. Like I'm not playing with you guys anymore. Yeah, it was. It got very grim dark. It did. Uh, weird. Uh, so in other big news. Um, I finally have a title for my architectural horror game, which will be the next big Kickstarter. Oh no project. way! Yes, it's called. It will be called Ruin, and it will be about being trapped in non-Euclidean ruins and scary cities and uh, other architecturally scary places. So, uh, if you've been watch- listening to our actual plays, things like July Park, Journey to the City, uh, The Night Clerk, and all those other scary games, very Carcosa-ish. Although it's not totally just Carcos. It, I have a whole thing, and it'll be cool. And So anyways, uh, I've done the first playtest. There'll be some new game mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and monarchs it. in certain colors? Maybe. I, I'm still riding it. Oh! So there's already one playtest I've done with Caleb and Aaron, which we'll talk about in the anecdotes. And I have new game mechanics for the gumshoe system. Uh, basically, character generation that happens during gameplay, uh, which is, is playing out actually pretty well so far. Uh, but that's so I'm working on that. So the Kickstarter, you can expect it later this year. Uh, hopefully, in a couple months, need to get artwork, need to write a shitload. So, yay. Um, so, a shitload more than a fuckload. Yes. But don't worry, uh, for Base Raider fans, I am still working on Base Raiders. Uh, new PDFs are going to be coming out soon uh, of player facing supplements, like a new player character or pregen. Uh, also, player new power supplements or like uh, new power sources. Uh, so you can uh, have some fun with that. So Air more stuff, the power of and Air more adventures bases are being created by other writers. So um, we also have a new recorder for the actual plays. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the Zoom we have the Zoom H2N, which stands for new. It's a nift. It's it or N for nifty. Yes, because it is. Uh, and then we're recording in a lossless format in a WAV file that it then is instead of recording straight to MP3. So it is uh, higher quality, and we're doing. I'm doing more to massage the audio before I put it down mm. into an MP3. Forgive and me, I, ca- I got distracted. There, Mufune had movement. Yes, he, he lizards do occasionally move. It's amazing. It is. Um, so uh, you can expect higher quality APs that we record from now on. I mean, we still have some. The recorder of the old Zoom, uh, as good as it was, that will. Be still the slightly lower quality, but anyway. Uh, so those of you who are audiophiles, yeah. and anyways, and uh, Tom, speaking of actually, I actually guys, have some news of my own. Yes, I have been. Requ- it has been. I've been requested to run a Pathfinder campaign for a completely different group of gamers. Ooh, yeah. Apparently, uh, some of them. Some of them are other friends of mine. Yeah. Who um, said, "Hey, they're they're friends." Like you know, we really like to. We really like to do some do a role playing game, but. No one wants to run anything. So they're asked, does anyone know anyone that would run stuff for us? And my name was put forward. So I was requested to run that. So I will be running and recording this, the episodes. I'll be running a Pathfinder campaign for a group of players you've never seen or heard before. Yes. 
it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be trippy. Yes. So when we get uh, story arc completed for that, the first game the first game should be this Sunday. Ooh. Well, from the day we're recording this. Yes, a week. Yeah, we were recording on a Sunday right now. So it'll be a week from today. Yes. Uh, in that, the year twenty five twenty five. That is how time works. Uh, so it keeps on slipping into the future. Yes, Tom. Um, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> like so, yeah. Your news is. All right, whatever. Well, I mean, we did all those Pathfinder games in last time, and the only reason I haven't posted those APs, I know we mentioned them on the anecdotes before, so you get some of you. But were one of the players couldn't come anymore. Well, and also we didn't have, like, a and resolution. So we didn't have an, a resolution. The campaign just kind of drifted off, and that's kind of... As sometimes happens. Yes. And so if they... That's my biggest pet peeve when doing APs, and there's that's why a lot of these games in the B sides are just kind of like here, here they are. Yeah, here they are. Uh, well, the next batch of B sides will have a lot of that, like Munes of Master Mind campaigns. Oh God! <laughs> oh yes. God! Oh yes, Tom Ross, you son of a bitch! I know. I'm truly a monster. I thought we talked about this. Yeah, we did. I didn't. No, care. But nothing was resolved. No, 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 no. So, anyways, uh, we're like Congress. We. Wow. Whoa! That's, yeah. I feel insulted. I feel, you take eat, that back. Eat, eat that. No, you to eat that. How's that taste? Swish no. that around your mouth. How's no. it taste? No, you. I. I, I reject your re- reality and replace it with my own. Good luck with that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, give me <laughs> the full table. So um, I know we might have we might have talked about this a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of an ongoing thing, talking about yeah. table. This is just just sort of a potpourri of gaming etiquette. But some, yeah, but contract. sometimes, and we also get new experiences we like to share right. about it. Um, so, a lot of you know Bill as one of the uh, regulars. We like Bill. Plays. Um, he has formed his own group of some of his friends uh, and his wife, and he is introducing them to the hobby. And um, so, his wife, Melissa, and then his uh, two friends, Sean and Ann, uh, and they, he invited me, and so we've been playing some games of D&D next. So they've played some D&D, but that's about it. So this weekend, we had two opportunities to play. Tom came back uh, from his trip, and we had two opportunities to play. So uh, on Friday night, mm-hmm. we got together and play. We were originally going to just play a board game, but we changed somewhat. But things changed. Yeah, so the uh, it, it switched to Fiasco. Nothing and, wrong with that. Yeah, and I did record it. Um, I didn't know I was going to record it, but that's why I have the recording app on my cell phone, so I can record Ross that. is ready always. Yes. So... <laughs> if a game only, is played, Ross will be there. Uh, well, no, I would never get anything done, but any game that I am there at, I will be able to record. That's what I meant, right? He's always ready to record. There we go. Uh, so watch what you say around him. I, I know. Weird, right? Yeah, uh, it, you might... You, he might blackmail you. Yes. <laughs> so the uh, game was an hour and a half. We used the town and gown, uh, whatever they call playset yes. or whatever. I, I was I, I was a very poor communist. I apologize. You were you were the worst Marxist revolutionary. Neophyte. You, well, neophyte was the key. Yeah, that. I'm totally a beginner. Yeah. Um, so we'll we may or may not post the AP for that. I mean, it's an hour and a half, so that's really short by our standards. Uh, but it was quite entertaining. But this was Sean. Uh, uh, Sean uh, was the only of the new players who played it. Uh, Dan was in there, and Bill was there, and then us. So that was five. So 
Sean got into it. I mean, he had been doing some role playing in it, and mm-hmm. so I mean, it was a pretty standard game of fiasco. Everything went horribly wrong. It was a fiasco. Uh, everyone picked up on the rules. I mean, Bill's really good about remembering the rules. Like he, uh, he does seem to have a, a uh, very an eidetic memory for yeah. that, uh, and he knows how, especially fiasco. So he knows how it works, and he has like the cards laminated and all the other shit. So it worked really well, and. Uh, so I mean that was that was pretty average, but then uh, I mean that was you know not 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 much to learn there. But I think on Saturday um, we had an opportunity uh, like, hey, do you want to run a game for uh, us, Ross? I'm like, all right, I'll run a game. And so there, uh, I sketched out a Call of Cthulhu game. I've had the idea, the concept for a while, but it like wasn't. You do. It, but the the putting it to a particular locality didn't come to me until that day. And I was like, Oh, well, I should have done that earlier. Um, so the game itself is set in 1929, York, Pennsylvania. Uh, the historians will know that the aftermath of the Pennsylvania Dutch hex murders, uh, which comes into it a little bit. So, uh, folk magic, the grimoire, a long lost friend come. I actually have a copy of it. And I use that as a prop in the game. And so, we I also had a full table, six full players: uh, Which, Bill, Melissa, yeah. uh, Tom, Aaron, and then Sean and Ann. Mm-hmm. And so three of them had never Melissa, Sean, and Ann had never played Call of Duty at all. And I didn't I didn't make pregens. I had them make characters. Yeah, and actually for first timers, it went very smoothly. Um, yeah, I had two copies of the book, which definitely helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I've memorized ca- rule character creation rules for that game. Yeah, so you didn't need one. And I was able to explain certain things. Um, and Call of Cthulhu itself, I think, is a really good system to introduce new people because conceptually, it's not hard to admit. You're a person. You yeah. don't have weird superpowers. You don't have anything. I know I've mentioned this before, but, like, you're a detective. You can do, you know, you can investigate crimes. You don't have superpowers. Like, a lot of games, there's a big leap in conceptually understanding what your character can do. True. Like Exalted is fucking terrible. Oh my god, yeah, I've I've played a game of yeah. that and it's I'm like, wow, it's a good thing I've been role playing since 1987 cuz right. holy crap. Um but I mean there's like a lot of games aren't I mean most but, games are pretty yeah. when your characters have more than human powers are actually pretty bad about explaining what your character can do. Um but like Call of Duty, you're just a person. You know some things, but you don't, you you know, bullets still kill you. You're still bound by the law, you know. You think you, you, you get afraid. Yeah, you can get afraid. You can go crazy. Um, so, aside, yeah, the, the mental stuff is still, like, developing schizophrenia as a result of seeing a scary monster makes no f- fucking sense. But, like, mm-hmm. a horror movie convention, that's fine. So, anyways, um, so the setup was pretty easy, I think. Um there was, I don't know, what, your first impressions of the players. Well, first of all, you know, first of all, I think you did the right thing by just dropping us right into the middle of it. Okay, so yeah. after character. You, so the character, the character, character generation, well, character generation. I mean, when, when you watching, did well, you pay any attention to them? And like, I did. And uh, they, I think and they had a lot of questions, but they were all like questions I would imagine a new player would do. They yeah. also had, like, and all three of them had, Immediate help to either any of the, either of their sides by players who are very familiar with the system. Yeah. So it was there wasn't just one person. It wasn't just like you know the GM is the only one who knows the answer to their questions. Yeah. 
And I've been in, I'm sure you've been in games like that where it's a new system and every one of them is asking the GM questions at the same time. Yeah. No, th- this was we had a l- multiple sources of information. I think it went smoothly. We uh, discussed our character concepts beforehand. Yeah. So we kind of had char- we, we kind of had all the skill sets covered. We had the intellectual covered. We had the brawling covered. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know even for three inexperienced for ha- for fifty percent inexperienced players, character creation went very smoothly. I think um, I did as a GM. I did see some problem. And I don't want to name any names, but in a group, you're not going to. Everyone has a different sort of personality and different mm-hmm. kind of at the table. And there are loud players, and then there are so they're like active players, and they're more recessive players. And by recessive, I mean they kind of pull back. In a loud mm. crowd situation, I don't want to say introvert extrovert because we're all gamers. We're all more or less introverts. So more yeah, or less, yeah. The not, gaming table. Not, not yeah. everyone is. I mean, David, for example, is not an introvert at all. So, no, but, but most of us, you know, like this is the one place we feel comfortable doing all right. this. So there were some players, especially during character generation, got in table side conversations that actually made it hard for me to hear and then answer. Well, that wasn't I think that wasn't just character creation. That happened during the game as well. Uh, early on, I think mm-hmm. we uh, the thing is we got into a rhythm of it, but especially during the character I actually had to kind of like tell certain Shush players now. like I need to hear mm-hmm. this person. So which is fine, but also we did that there, there was no well, all right, fine. Jeez. Yeah. It was all the Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um. So that's good. Everyone, yeah. everyone could be reminded of the and, social contract. And I think because we, even the people that were new, we knew each new people who knew every, other people. Yeah. We had a, we had a pretty good table social contract going on. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, when you're, no matter who, whether you're the GM or the player, I think the first thing when you're doing new players with a large table and especially a large table with new players, you really have to make sure you have to sort of police the group in the sense that. You want to draw out the quiet people, mm. and you want to sort of dampen down the loud. the loud people a little bit. I mean, not saying like enforce active limits, but kind of a soft power kind of thing. Just suggestions, like, yeah, suggestions, and just like I, I mean, that was one thing I was really concerned with, making sure everyone would have a chance to make decisions and like see what mm. happens, and like not just only pay hey. attention to the people that were like trying to get. Because I have been in games where you know the loud the, the loud players just completely drowned out all the others. Yeah. And, and th- then it becomes, all right, you have you basically have two players playing. Yeah. And because no matter who you are at the table, if you're an experienced player, GM, or whatever, and there's new people at the table, you want to make sure they have a good time to sh- so that they can understand why you like this hobby so much and why it's so fun. Right. So you or need- why we should come back after the game I was in was seemed like to be a disaster. Right. And if... The thing is, the quiet people really, I mean, a lot of them don't want to make a scene or they don't want to be... Or cause a fuss. Right. So they're not mm-hmm. going to tell you that they're having a bad time. So you, it, it's upon you to help yeah. everyone have a good time. As GM, it is on you for that. No, even as a player. I think everyone well, I guess, has a responsibility. Every, well, yeah. We all, we all have our responsibilities. I think the GM has, an, has a very important one. Right. But the GM can't do it alone. No. And everyone needs to like... Like, that's one thing... Um, uh, no, a while ago, Caleb mentioned that uh, something about when I play a game, I can kind of sink back and let other people have their roles. I mean, for me, you know, I – and that's something I noticed for myself. Like, for me, it's more like I really want to make sure everyone has a good – sort of harmonious thing, you know. And I think it has – I mean, we can get into psychology and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I think it also has to do with just the way I, I was raised. I was growing up. I'm the little brother 
the smallest of my family. So like my survival strategy was like accommodating other people like, Hey, let's all get along. Yeah. 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 Um, whereas like most of the other people, in the RPPR group are like single children. Uh, Me. yeah. So you're just like, I'm here. I'm, I'm awesome. Why, why aren't you? Well, okay. Good? For four years, I was the little stepchild. Yeah. But for four years. For four years. Not for ever. Ever. Yes. No. But I, I think it right like also like I found myself, you know, if there's like like last night I found myself like, all right, if I'm gonna go do something like uh, if I, I I'm gonna, I, I know something I have to do, um I'll see if like, hey, like you wanna help like like would you I need your your would your assistance on this, would you help me out? Yes. Very good. That's yeah. the kind of thing. Like get people in other scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was also with like fiasco. Like we were trying to suggest to each other. I think too. Yeah. Like, hey, how about have a scene with the other person too? Uh, and uh, but yeah, that's I I I, I did that uh, particularly. Yeah. And that was really good. I mean, I think that really helped. And I, I, you notice, like, if well, you know, if one of the the experienced players who's in the group, yeah. So you know, if you're the new guy and one of the the guys that is in the group says, like, hey, like say, hey, you want to come with me on this adventure? Yeah, they're like, yeah, it's like, oh, oh yeah, like it's kind of like, like oh, I'm part of this now. Yeah, exactly. You got to have to give them sort of an ownership in it, and um, and I think I will, I'll give them credit. The players that were there, I think they did. I think they really got into the groove of it. Oh no, they 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 were pros. I mean, like they were like a, a bo- they were bosses. They everyone for every well, there was one exception, which I will name name in this case, which was Aaron. Yeah, because Aaron was Aaron. <laughs> I don't, and we don't say this like a bad thing. It's I'm sure you guys will list it off, but he charged off on his own, like just in the open. Mm-hmm. So let's and, why and, don't we, I, we'll go back to the, like you mentioned earlier, the beginning, like how I started the game. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk? Yeah, I'll say that it basically it was um, we did like we, there was no real intro, mm-hmm. you know, to the, you know to our group, you know, like we didn't have like we didn't have a chance to. Uh, in 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 game, introduce ourselves. We were ba- literally a group of strangers who may have heard of heard of each other because you know it's a very small, close knit community. Very few people are related, if not by marriage, than direct blood. Right. But we were unfamiliar with each other, and we were all brought to this you know lodge in the middle of the woods for a meeting with this guy. And that's literally like and. You're in this lodge right now. You're waiting for him to show up, and it's just you guys alone in this place you've never been to. Yeah. And as, I think that was good because in the situation of our, a, like six strangers, mm-hmm. ostensibly in in one place, we were compelled to in character introduce ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that really that really helped. I think that really mo- facilitated things along. I mean, that's the thing a lot of GMs don't get. I think my strategy is to start it, it's start as late as possible in a scene. Mm-hmm. Something I learned when I studied script writing. But I mean, the thing is. In game design, in, a, in tabletop games, if you start a scenario, if you want to make a scenario about, like, they go, it's a dungeon crawl. And you're mm-hmm. like, all right, so, well, the traditional structure for a dungeon crawl story is that they go, they start in the tavern, they get the quest, and they decide to go to the dungeon. Yeah, they go to the they go to the, t- the tavern where the guy that knows where the amulet of Yendor right. is. Well, they start, yeah, so I'll start mm-hmm. the thing in the tavern and blah, 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 blah. And then they'll go to the dungeon. So, but the thing mm-hmm. is, that's not the adventure you're at. You think you're running, you're not running a dungeon crawl adventure at this point. You're running a tavern adventure because... The adventure starts when the players get to make their first decision. And so they decide to go on the dungeon crawl. You don't know they're going to mm. make that decision. So, and, and, you, and you have to be careful because if if that's where you've decided to act, that's you're, the dungeon's where you're, gonna, you're going to allow them to first make their first decision. Yeah. But you start them in the tavern, then 
you have what you've basically done is you started things off with a cut scene that the players have no control over. Well, that I mean, that's yeah. You can either railroad mm-hmm. them or if you give them actual it's, agency, they, yeah. they're they're gonna do stuff. They there's the, always that chance that they decide to like to stay in the tavern or they burn it down. They have to run away from the guards and then they they wind up on a boat. And so now you're on a boat and you're like, you know, going away from where you wanted them to. Yeah. So you're like, what the fuck? So. If you wanted to run a dungeon crawl adventure, have them start in front of the dungeon and be like, you need to go in this dungeon, otherwise you're not going to have any money to buy food or whatever. Or the town will be destroyed, whatever. So for me, for this story, uh, I wanted them uh, there, and then I did start them in the middle of an action scene because they they, – it opens with them like waiting for this guy. And then they hear gunshots in the wood, and then they eventually see the guy that they're waiting for being chased or being shot at, and he's carrying yeah. a b- object. As a player, I've noticed like if you do that, you're uh, you're suddenly much more invested in, in the game in the game at hand. Yeah. If you start in like immediately, whoa, shit, something's happening. Yeah. And you know, I, I've I've been in games where you know the the GMs felt it necessary to do the, all the intro stuff. Yeah. And at that point, I've started like, I'm kind of sensing this isn't important. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Phone. Yeah. yeah. No. You want to give them, make them choice, especially with a large group, because with a large group, with six players, you have to, everyone needs to be allowed, or, you know, everyone has to have, like, the ability to do shit, like, which mm-hmm. means they need time from you as the GM. So you have to divide your time between six players and so you just have to go i mean like what i was doing the entire game was kind of doing it almost like it was combat the entire game like what do you do okay make a yeah. roll what do you do make a roll what yeah do you do? Make a roll. and yeah you were doing it too and yeah. I, but it's the same thing i i've done before too that i've actually some, sometimes have some problems still yeah. is yeah you gotta like yeah it's pretty much yeah you gotta keep it going yeah because no one want no no player likes to wait a really long time before they can yeah. get back into it no you I mean, yeah of course who would i mean uh, you're there to play, not to watch, so or listen. So. Unless it was the dog punching incident, I think everyone enjoyed well, watching. That's that. kind of a unique cir- set of circumstances, but like, it, was it was beautiful. Like a, it was a beautiful in a train wreck kind of way. So, but uh, a very slow and, motion, Michael yeah. Bay, just yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I started thinking, going, letting people make their choices, um, and so they respond to this action scene and like some players are like thinking about barricading the place. Other people mm. are looking for weapons because it's a, a, a lodge in a rural American yeah. setting. There's probably guns in the house. And but, yeah, I also like to take the, take this opportunity to extol one of my favorite things about the Call of Cthulhu system yeah. is the idea role. Yes, that is a very useful tool, especially yeah. for new players. If they're yeah. they're not quite sure what to do and you can see that happening, they, you can just go, OK, give me an idea role. Yeah. And, and make it like that way. Then you can give them a little, like a little, little push. Yeah. And normally, if it's a good player, normally a little push is all they need. Yeah, this is true. So they, I had the story in mind, the basic structure of it, but I didn't know where every single part of it fit there. So I kind of was like, oh, here's a good place to put this bit of the story, and um, here's, and then I started going there, and so pretty soon I had a lot of moving parts in the scenario. <laughs> And you have to keep track of all uh, of them. Yeah, you have to keep track of it. Sometimes you lose track. Uh, I did lose track. I remember losing track once. Like, what happened to this NBC? Oh, she went crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, but I don't have to worry about her. But yeah, that's what we're there for to yeah. uh, help, you rem- help you remember shit. So, in terms of like for you as a player, um, what 
what kind of other observations did you have about it in terms of like how the other players, new players reacted versus the old players versus the story? Uh, would you have changed anything about how I set it up or how I, I mm. ran it during? Now, like I said, the beginning was perfect. I think yeah. you dropped us right off into the best possible place for that yeah. scenario. Like instantly, there's tension that we have to deal with. Yeah, and I'll say, with the three new players we had, they responded to tension beautifully. Yeah, they were all like they. None of them really wanted to hang back. All of them had like, well, well shit, I got to I got to deal with this guy. Situation. There's gunfire out there. Yeah, like immediately, all like, all of the everyone in the cabin in this lodge immediately had an idea of the, what the best course of action would be to right. do. And also, like in real group of people, they we didn't actually always coordinate with each other. <laughs> yeah, there was duplication of effort, uh, which is going to happen anyway. Yeah, you know, But I mean, like even some of the like, okay, I immediately search the place for weapons, right? Or I immediately start barricading, right? Or I immediately start chasing after, run towards the sound of gunfire. Yes, we we can guess <laughs> no, who that was. No names. Yeah. Um, a- a- okay, Ron. so after the first scene, I mean, how did mm-hmm. like when we got into the meat of the story and plot bits were being revealed? Like, uh, what was your perception of the game and was, was going on? I, uh, I you, yeah, you gave us like first of all, like you gave us multiple multiple avenues of investigation we could do, yeah. and um, once again, everyone had their had a different opinion, and we basically did split up. Yeah, but all of it, all of us immediately, you know, I think they all realized what the avenues were and which one and they immediately thought which ones they'd like to uh, they'd like to go for i'd say our the players the new players in this game didn't miss a beat at all um i think again helping setting the game in the real world uh even a historical one Mm -hmm. i think really helped in the sense of players but everyone knows oh we're in a farm there's probably tractors and horses right uh, and well, they also have an idea of like where to go to figure out information. Mm-hmm. They can talk to the other farmers. They could, you know, go to town. They could talk to the guy in the jail cell or whatever. Uh, so they had ideas of like what was happening, um, which you wouldn't necessarily have like in a fantasy game or in a right, where you, high concept. Where you game. can go to the magical gem that actually connects to the plane, elemental plane of fire, to ask the fire elementals for something. And like, yeah, well. Who wouldn't have thought of that? Yeah. Um, for me, I think one of the things is when I initially thought of this scenario, I thought there were certain complications I had in mind that actually never came up because what I quickly realized after running like that first scene that actually would have been gone like that first opening scene probably would have been processed like gone through in in real time in like half the time it did with if we had fewer players if we had two mm-hmm. or three players that would have taken like half an hour. Mm-hmm. At most to get through that opening scene, uh, but with six players, like everyone's doing something, and so everyone's like, usually so doing, time slows down, and they're all doing games, and everyone's doing different things, right? So I have to give them time and like, all right, you find this out in this book, you find this thing in this here, you miss, you know, you're, you're you can't see the the guy in the dark, you know, you can't find out who's attacking you, uh, blah 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 blah. So the more players you have, the more the the in game time slows down. I think that's and that's a key. So you're not going to get as many scenes as you would like, uh, or that you you could with a smaller group with two players. Like this, this same scenario would turn into like 
kind of like a no security, kind of like a Wives of March, sort of like very in-depth kind of grueling investigation and trying to figure out who's doing what. Mm -hmm. With six players, it turns into more of sort of a pulp action thing because like people are just like riding around at night. They're trying to figure Mm -hmm. shit out. They're grabbing guns that, you know. Yeah, I I think we mostly, we finished the story in that night. Yeah, I had it like, it took in six hours in game between the start to the end. Uh, from dusk until midnight, basically. And uh, that was, and I figured originally it was going to be like over several, like over a day. Like it would have taken mm-hmm. most of this set next day. Um, simply because I wanted to, uh, but I, yeah, because I, so I had to adjust my plans very quickly on the fly when I realized, oh shit, this is going to take a while. Like we're not going to get through as much as I thought I was. Right. So. As a GM, and you have to realize, like, holy shit! I've actually, I, I was, I played with some GMs before, yeah, who yeah, they, they ske- they've sketched out everything, yeah, you know, and I bet the problem is that when they get into the game and start running it, they still feel they have to hit everything on the list, yeah, and <clears throat> I, yeah, a few G, actually, like a few G con games I've played, oh yeah, very clearly you can tell like. It's a you know it's like there's there's six or seven players at the table, but they still feel that well I can't go to here until I finish this thing, but it's three things down on the list. Yeah, and I that's I've discovered a big problem is when GMs feel they have to hit everything. Yeah, you have to adapt on like no matter how much you write, you know I don't care if you have a fifty page scenario, you know that meticulously researched, you've thought of all the angles or whatever, and like. You know, we are like we're doing the Russian scenario, dead hand, dead man's hand, or whatever. Mm. And like, oh well, let's go to the camp. Well, we you have two hours to run this game. You're, they're not going to the camp. Just have them start at the silo, you know, because like holy shit, you know that that camp's going to take an hour. Yeah, and I really, I've thought about logically. If you really are like Russian commandos on a time, you're not going to stop at this camp, right? You're going to. I mean, I could see it either way, but like you could justify it either way. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's an open like players have choice, they have agency. But like as a GM, you you got to keep it. You got to you got to understand how much you can get through as a practical matter. Um, were there any issues you, you saw coming up because the uh, the the new players? Um, well, anything in terms of etiquette or being like, do you think that the new players had an adequate? Chance to shine, or to- I think everyone had a chance to do their own thing. Yeah, and uh, like you know that, like yeah, you know, I just I did something I did something with one of the new players. We I did our own thing. Others split up, but they got the to chance to do their own, do their own thing. Like I like the two. Uh, like was it a? Sorry, I'm blanking on the names, but well, well what character were they playing? What, what, what the 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 reporter and the, uh, the reporters and. And the other, the uh, clergy, the other, the, the, yeah, the, the Melissa, yeah, the two of them, they were actually by themselves. They were by themselves yeah. in a house with someone, and they both had to kind of concoct an on the an on the spot dual, you know, dual person lie to trick yeah. this person. Yeah, that was, and they uh, totally went with it. Yeah, uh, and I know it's like, and neither one of them was trying to be the hero. Yeah, they're all like. Okay, like how can we work together to make sure we get this person to do yeah. what we want? Yeah, exactly. They, I, I thought that was an effective scene mm-hmm. um, because the, the, yeah, that person was sort of an obstacle, not necessarily the bad guy, but like not, but someone who was also a problem. I mean, like someone that they had to, to like work around. So um, yeah, I was I was pretty satisfied with that scene. Um, and and uh, 
Sean, I think, you know, doing the uh, revolutionary. Yeah. He got to do his thing. You know, I think he got to do stuff he liked to. Playing a, char- a character that, if not handled properly, could really throw a wrench into the group dynamic by, yeah. you know, by, you know, insisting on, like, basically playing his character too hard. Yeah. Uh, and I think, well, a lot of players, I mean, it's not specifically limited to new players. I mean, no, but I'm saying, but in this game, it, the thing is, j- this is what my character would do is not an excuse to be an asshat. But mm-hmm. I mean, nobody did that in our, this particular game. That's right. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. But, you know, that this is sort of a side. I mean, Luke Crane ta- mentioned this in one of the PAX panels, and he's like, it's not, we've gone over this. Just because it's something your character would do doesn't mean you should do it at the table, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, it's a good point. Like, you should never try to hide behind that as an excuse for really terrible behavior in a game because nobody's going to buy it, and it's just mm-hmm. a lame excuse. So anyway. I, I was a, as an example of, I was in a uh, three point, uh, there was a 3.0 D&D game, and one yeah. of the players was going for, took the, uh, like the frenzied berserker prestige class mm-hmm. solely because he really wanted to just lose it and attack the players as well as the enemies. I think, was, was I in that game? Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And, um, I actually purchased I purchased a wand of wand of polymorph other too. Yeah. Like when he when he did a he's a turtle now. All yeah. Right. Just let, let him work it out. Yeah. And I had to because literally it it seems like that's what he's looking forward to. Yeah. And that's kind of a shitty thing. Yeah. Um so I mean there were issues with the game. I think there was some hive mind sort of metagaming a little bit in mm-hmm. some of the players cuz like this player would figure it out. And then would figure out a clue, but then the other player would use it uh, in another scene. In another scene, and there might have been a time where they could have exchanged information, but I don't. It wasn't clear. Yeah, but and that part of it was for me. Well, like you really have to streamline your scenarios dealing with the six players because, like, holy shit, there's so much going on. You it it adds up really quickly. Because mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, inter- pretty soon, pretty soon you're juggling four balls and a chainsaw in the yeah, air. It, it's yeah, it gets. You need to keep that in mind when doing a scenario. So think of really simple situations. Because like with six players, that turns into a three-hour game easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should have streamlined it even more, but I think... I, I think, think it, it went well. I don't know, like, so for you, uh, you're running a group with six players or... Five players. Well... Five or six. Hypothetically. Hypothetically six players. Uh, six players. What do you do when you're running that game? Like, what what considerations? How do you notice any difference from when you run for a larger group? I do. Like, I mean, I still so talk about what I've been doing. But. I still outline everything I think I need to outline. I do, yeah. you know, like uh, everything you know where everything is going to lead. This, but then at that point, I kind of just turn it turn it over to the players. Okay, and it's I go I go with what they want to do. Okay, I'm a firm believer in. Uh, it's like, all right, what do you do? It's and I think especially with more, that many players, you've got to. It's like all right, sometimes you really have to do more as a GM. Just, all right, what do you guys do? Okay, um, but in terms of like in a game, like do you notice uh, noticeable differences between um, like how much gets done in terms of scenes, like how many like so basically the game we had, we had the opening scene, mm. we had maybe two middle investigation scenes, and then we, the, there were two final scenes basically. So there's yeah. only like. Four scene, five, four or five scenes, basically in the entire three-hour game. So well, for Hex Hollow, um, whereas with a two-player game, I could have gone through like at least six, probably right. eight, like six to eight in three hours. 
depending because like oh i go to library and investigate for four hours all right that's the same you know and then like go move right. on uh, well, basically, you know, like I said, the fewer players you have, the more attention you can focus on individual players. Yeah, and actually, it's not just that; it's also, and the more you have to. Yeah, be, you know, because if you got a lot of stuff to cover and like only two players to do it, yeah, it's gonna have to be, you know, like well, this like well, shit, like this thing I planned for more than play, like this player is gonna have to shoulder, gonna have to take care of a, you know, a lot more of this this stuff. Right. I mean, I actually had a good example. Like, I've done one playtest for Ruin so far, and that was just with Caleb and Aaron. And they split up almost immediately. They just, like, protons and electrons. They just repel each other. And I'm sure that I'm... Science people, please don't comment on that. I know that I don't... Magnets. Yeah, how do they work? (laughs) Um, But they... So it was... At times, it was like I was running two one-player games. Mm. Like, Caleb's off doing this other thing. Aaron was doing this other thing, and it's just, like, totally different for both of them until I managed to kind of shoehorn them back in there because I'm a horrible monster who denies players' agency. Um, So, in some ways, uh, but so I was covering a lot more ground of the story, so everything I outlined I actually hit in that uh, thing because, like, I just had to keep throwing new scenes at them because they would go through – because either – because also with, like, small groups, you can't, like – you can't throw a dozen cultists at them and expect them, or you know, five giant monsters or whatever. You kind of have to scale down the combat, the mm. challenges, if you want them to actually fucking not die. Uh, not assuming really bad choices. You know, if they make a really bad choice, they make a really. If bad they choice. they run off into the woods with no weapons, yeah, yeah. Who are we talking about? No, I don't know. no name, no names. Uh, the man with no name. Yeah, <laughs> no no award if you guess in the comments, because um, we're probably going to mention that later on. Um, so in terms of new players depending on the system you need to uh, be ready to explain that you need to know the rules of any game you're actually running for new players it's like teaching you have to know that shit better than just an average person like you need Mm -hmm. like Call of Cthulhu rules is one of the few systems I'm super comfortable with and I could run I'm the same way yeah but like I would not run say Promethean or uh, Dark Heresy, or, or yeah, uh, or fucking uh, the one you mentioned earlier, uh, the Phoenix Command. No, no, the uh, martial arts one. Martial arts, mystical martial, White Wolf, mystical martial arts. Exalted, shit. exalted. Thank you. I could not get that word out of. But yeah, exalted. You has like, uh, like so. Are there special moves like? Well, they're covered in this these seventy pages of the book. Yeah, I mean the thing is, if you if you're an exalted guru, then yes, you can play mm-hmm. the, run the game for new players. Because the thing is, you have to be able to explain that book, explain those rules without having to look shit up. Because mm-hmm. nothing kills a big game like a and I define a big game with lots of players like that's st- looking shit like up. that Star Wars game I played at Gen Con, oh, where the yeah. poor GM lady had like you know we would do we would suggest something like that wasn't combat like yeah. Like, I think Aaron, really good idea. Like, all right, I'm just going to go actually see if I can hack this droid since they're all connected and see if I can get them to shut down. And she's like, mm. 10 minutes of flipping through the yeah. book. That's that's basically the Nadar. That is the that is the, the, the critical failure. If you do that, you're just, oh, my God. It, it, your game is just crashed. It's like in DDR when you start missing everything, and it's like, terrible, po- terrible, terrible, terrible. You know, yeah. you're just like, uh, why am I even doing this? So 
that's what you really, really want to avoid. And the only way to, yeah, so you need to, it's only run systems that you are masters of. If it's new players. players. Yeah, if it's new players. And 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 make sure it's at least a system you're pretty decent with uh, if you're running for a big group, even if they're mm-hmm. all experienced players. Because, like, again, you need to be able to know the basic procedures just without having to consult yeah. things. Because once, once again, I've been a player in a game where it is kind of uncomfortable when you realize the GM really doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not just like, or do you mean like not just game mechanics, but just like storytelling? Yeah. Oh, man. I There's, it's, and, you, and you realize, and you don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. It's particularly a con game because, you know, it's like, you know, there's still like this social contract going around the table, but you're like, you can see there's like kind of glances around the table, yeah. worried looks. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Ugh. I, fortunately, I never. I, I actually should start playing con games. You know? And in fact, if you, I don't know if you know, I'm always running because you can always tell, like when the when the GM's head is buried in the book. Yeah. If he would only look up, he would actually see the. the yeah. You know the like we're Ooh. like everyone. All the players are making eye contact, doing the kind of your eyes sl- get slightly wider as you're doing the. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. And there are times I've had to do that in a panic, but I try, I almost, you know, very seldom, except with new, newer systems, or if I'm reading flavor text from an adventure, uh, which I try to get through. And so that's why actually I never, almost never run canned adventures at cons anymore, because, oh, God, what happens if they do this? I don't know. Flip, 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 flip. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm much more comfortable with the scenarios that I've designed or run. Yeah. Because I know what's next. Yeah, exactly. So and I can and I can pretend. Yeah. So those are some things, especially so running big games, you just have to bring your own game up as the GM. Um, or I mean, sometimes if you have good players, especially ones who are like Bill and no rule, mm. have good rules mastery, they can help guide you through shit. Then, Don't be afraid to you know play, to ask players for help. Yeah. Yeah. They're 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 here to have a good. Job. It's yeah. It's a it's a group collaboration. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, Gene, if you're doing running with a large group, fucking kill players. Oh yeah, player characters, player characters, not not players. Um, like, really, I didn't think you were like like you know, carry a silence forty five under the table, and if <laughs> if you see one getting on their phone, cap them. Yeah, um, you know, like especially if it makes sense for the game setting, like if it's a very violent game, you know, D and D or Call of Cthulhu or Eclipse. If it's My Little Pony, you might want to hold off on that. I don't think they have an RPG. They probably do. An unofficial fan one, I'm sure, but don't if you link. I I don't even care if you don't even want to know, do you? I I wasn't I Fallout in My Little Pony. I there's sure there's everything in My Little Pony. It's their fandom. It's ubiquitous. Weird. It's out there. I'm sorry, Baronies. I just I I I don't. Ross doesn't get it. Do you get it? I do not. All right, so we don't get it. No, we don't get it. No one gets it except them. Except them. All right. Moving and on. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> we kind of lingered on this a little too long. So, or was it appropriate? Um, anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, you want to be able to kill any players, characters off, uh, especially and, if basically run combat in the open and like let the dice fall where they may. Make combats a little more challenging than you would. Like, um, I like, some GMs are reluctant to really put players in harm's way. But if you have six players, like you one kinda, guy dies, like well, just make sure they have a chance to make a new character and join back in, mm-hmm. so they can join in at least in the last act. They're like, oh yeah, you can be the deputy who shows up at the end and be like, hey guys, yeah. what's going? And they trust me. And if you're if you're a GM who's reluctant to kill players, trust me, your first TPK is a truly wonderful <laughs> experience. 
Yeah. In fact, and your players will be the same way. They, if, the, as long as they're not like, yeah. I mean, as long as it like legitimately happened and you didn't. As, well, if it's a one shot or a con game, usually yeah. they're happy. But campaigns, like, like the one time I did it, running my uh, Bell Island game. Yeah. The players cheered afterwards when there was everyone died. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially with Call of Duty, expectations mm-hmm. matter. Um, yeah, so, yeah, don't be afraid to kill them. Don't be afraid to take them out of the action because you just get, like, you kill a player, you give everyone else more screen time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and honestly, I said that uh, you, you you don't have time to linger. You've got to go. Yeah, you got to go, go, go. I mean, like, basically, the, for that, I mean, for Call of Duty, the, the game I ran, it was basically. I was running like combat for most of the night. Like, what do you do? Make a roll. So, yeah, like, basically, you're just yeah. going around the table. Yeah, it was very quickly, and that's the kind of thing you have to do. So, um, because, yeah, speaking of experience, you know, usually the phones come out when you're sitting there with nothing to do. Yeah, and that will happen regardless uh, to a certain extent. Don't take it personally. Yeah, but if it go if it if it gets a little excessive, then you know. So now, if they start exchanging videos, I think you might realize maybe you've lingered too long. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that kind of covers it. I mean, yeah. with new players, you treat them with respect. Make sure they get a chance to be participate. Bring them out yeah. if they're kind of everyone needs a moment to back. shine. Yeah, and uh, know the rules, know the game. Yeah. I would also say, and know what's too big. Yeah. No, actually, I say as if I'd you're never G- go more than. Six yeah, and if you're GMing, know your limits. Yeah, I mean, sit, like I've done games for like eight players or more, but like those are like literally, I'm just running combat, and yeah, I and usually have it player versus player at that point. And I've never, I've never run a game with a group that big, yeah. but I've been in a game, yeah. and yeah, it is like the GM. I've noticed the GM either basically, like you said, runs it like it's constant combat, yeah, or very quickly burns yeah. out. And it's hard, but it can be really fun. So, at, I mean, at that point, if you're getting more than six players, you really should think of a way of dividing it up into two groups with two GMs and figuring out some sort of link campaign thing, which would be really cool to do. Now that we have a larger group, we might do something like that. But that is a topic for a future Brilliant. discussion. We should actually do it first before we actually mm-hmm. do that. So. Fun fact. Uh, Kevin Sembietta says he's most comfortable with a group of eight players or more. So you know you should not run a group with eight or more players. Mm-hmm. In the Rifts GM guide, yes. he is, he mentions, he says this. And you were bringing this up. I, I brought that up. He is the goofus. You, the listener, should be the gallant. Yes. So um, <laughs> next up, we have a letter from Tom. We do? Uh, we also have shoutouts and anecdotes. I will talk a little bit about the D&D next games I have been playing. As, uh, I, as I wait with bated breath. And then we already talked about Hex Hollow, but I also talk about the playtest of Rue. We could talk about, you could talk about the fiasco stuff. Indeed. Happened, so, uh, we, got, we, got, we got more shit coming right. up. Well, I just got back from a very amazing trip. I explored the cities of Boston and New York and basked in the culture and sights that both cities had to offer. I was reminded of the myriad of languages and cultures those cities had to offer, as well as the centuries of history the cities had. I walked streets that were hundreds of years old and strolled past pubs and buildings that were around before America even existed. I took it all in, getting my Midwest mind some actual culture and truly felt enriched by it. 
At least I would have if my gamer mind hadn't interfered. As it was, as I stood at the top of the Empire State Building, looking out onto Manhattan Island and the entire tri-state area, all I could think about was that this spot would be a make an excellent place for a massive fight in an RPG. Throughout the trip, as I explored those two historical cities, I was constantly imagining places that a group of PCs could have a memorable fight with armed mooks. As I walked the Freedom Trail, strolling through the streets that saw the start of the American Revolution, I imagined snipers and cyber ninjas hiding among the rooftops and pub windows, hoping to ambush a group of PCs. I walked the decks of the USS Constitution and imagined pirates firing steampunk cannons across the deck. I sat in an Irish pub next to Boston Commons and thought of cultists hiding in the bar, looking to assassinate the intrepid investigators. It didn't get any better in New York. I stood atop the Empire State Building and saw flying robot assassins doing battle in the skies. I walked the exhibits at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and thought of investigators looking through the Egyptian section for an artifact of Nyarlath Hotep hidden in a, st- in a stone sarcophagus. I stood on Liberty Island and saw a giant kaiju coming ashore knocking the statue right off the pedestal. I did this the entire trip. No matter where I went or what I saw, I had a heads-up display overlaying everything with RPG elements. It was as if I had a role-playing filter fitted over my eyes, and I have to say, it was fucking awesome. After six days in Boston and New York, my head is filled with glorious scenarios of fights and battles in historical locations. While some may stand in the Sheep Meadow in Central Park and have inspiration to paint a landscape, I imagine columns of cyber tanks fighting a group of inexperienced superheroes, flinging air conditioning vents like the vengeful hammer of a god. It is just another form of inspiring art, and I felt truly energized from it. So the next time you find yourself in a historical place and find images of orcs, dragons, and ninjas filling your head, just go with it. It's better than any photograph or souvenir. So Tom, that was—I thought that was a great letter. Well, so, thank you, uh, thank you. Because I, I had a similar experience when. Oh, really? Yes. Did you have it in Boston when you were at PAX? No, I was pretty much like work. That was work. Yeah, well, I mean, there was fun parts. Yes. I did have an RPPR meetup, so I do want to give a big mention to uh, Jen and the other RPPR fan, and Jen, uh, who had her craft. Uh, Etsy store. Uh, she was selling collectibles like dice, jewelry, and stuff like that. And then Ben from Tiny Kingdoms game. I'm, I'm gonna mess that up. But uh, Tiny Mob game. Uh, I will put links to your stuff <laughs> in the show notes. So we had our people our meeting up there. So thank you to everybody who made that. Uh, you guys rock. Uh, especially Ian and Violet. Oh uh, yeah, gotta love Ian and Violet. Awesome. Yes, uh, with the art. I yeah. hung out with them when I was in Boston. Uh, Boom. We went to Wagama Mama. They showed me that with great, great, great Japanese noodle place. Uh, also. A highlight of PAX, aside from just being there, like, oh. What'd you do? I went to a Tim Schafer video game themed burlesque show by D20 Burlesque, um, where they did burlesque strip strip teases uh, based on his games, like uh, Grim Fandango, uh, Brutal Legend, uh, the game Stacking, which is the Matryoshka dolls, the Russian Mm -hmm. nesting dolls, so, like, she takes off the layers. Uh, And then uh, they had a 
one of the stripper burlesque strippers put on a beard and a hoodie and she was dressed up as Tim Schaefer so sexy Tim Schaefer taking everything off and then it was like making costume. it rain like the other sexy Tim text sexy Tim, Tim Schaefer was actually there I saw he was in the front row and was he bemused he was bemused and they were those other strippers were making it rain dollar bills as he was as she was uh, stripping <laughs> it off it was it was amazing oh, also a male stripper doing a thing uh, for Psychonauts uh uh, the milkman level is like, mm. oh, oh, they're bugging me. Oh no, my jacket has a bug. Uh, I need to take it off. Oh, my shooter's bugged too. Uh, you know, it was, so that was funny. Um, so it was very funny. That was very. It mm. was. Worth but it. where else did you go? Anyways, I actually do want to mention my trip to China because I do actually you? didn't. Do you Caleb really? and you were like shouted me down, so I actually didn't talk about it in the last episode. So this time I will talk about it because uh, it's just me. Yeah, because it's just you and. Uh, um, so I went to China for a month, and I was staying mostly in Guangzhou, which is southwestern China, about two or south southern China, uh, two hours away from Hong Kong by train. And I got to see quite a bit of Asia, uh, thanks to cheap air flights from Guangzhou to other parts of Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cambodia, I went to see Angkor Wat. Ooh, fascinating! Nice, yes, and that was very much like RPG stuff because I felt like I was in a fucking old school. Uh, like RPG sav- like a Savage Worlds type thing No no Like a video Like Wizardry Oh yeah, the old yeah Wizardry yeah. games Or Eye of the Beholder Where you're like I, I actually the- own Wizardry 8 Yeah exactly So it was like that Because you walk through These ruins And they're actually like that And you're like Holy shit I feel like I'm in a video game Like what monster Is around the corner Yeah and also This would be great For tabletop role playing games too Because like holy shit There's all these awesome ruins With these incredible carvings And is that a dinosaur Carved in there Wow that's crazy And so Anchor Wat Was awesome Um Plus all the, also the culture there uh, and yeah. the people there. The food you refused to try. Uh, there actually wasn't very much food I didn't. There was one actually. Oh, there you, was. Yeah. Well, the, that one even your brother refused. Yeah, well, we went to the Philippines too as well to a small little place called Anilao, uh to do some diving. It's just like very, very small. There's not much to do other than dive. The diving there was amazing, coral reefs and all that. But uh, they have uh, what they call balut, which is basically a chicken abortion in an, in an egg. Uh, that is fermented. They just bury it, let it rot, and then uh, like they open it up, and it's just green. I don't know. I didn't try it. I was like, no. I think I, it's when you told me that your your brother's like, no, like he's like, so you wouldn't eat this for twenty bucks? Like, are you out of your mind? No, yeah, he wouldn't do it for unless it was like five hundred bucks. I'm like, I'm cheap. I would have done it for twenty, but uh, <laughs> they didn't offer me any money to eat it, so I didn't. eat Way it. to have self respect there, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so great diving in the Philippines. Uh, trust me, no, trust me. I, I'd have to. It'd have to be seven figures for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, the our life of a freelancer. Yay. Um, <laughs> then uh, back to Wangzhou. We did go to Hong Kong for a weekend, which was of course amazing and pretty neat. Nice. Uh, great food there. Um, Hong Kong style French toast is amazing. It is. Oh my god! It is so good. It is. Like with condensed milk, it is just like holy shit. It is the food of the gods. So anyway, uh, delicious was it? Yes. Uh, but then we also went to Chengdu, uh, which is a, a central China, the Sichuan province, mm-hmm. and uh, had some Sichuan food, which is incredibly spicy. That's where I played. I uh, I ran that game July Park, which is on mm-hmm. the AP site. People like it. Uh, hey, Alex and the other gamers uh, from you guys China. rock. Yes. Um, but there's another gaming idea I had there, the Global Center, which is the world's largest building. It is 18 million square feet. And is a That's bigger than home. the Pentagon, by the it way. Is, yeah, it is ginormous. They have a water park. They have like four five-star hotels in it. Uh, they have a movie theater, an ice rink. So they have four 
numbers of five-star hotels. Yes. Okay, four so, hotel, not, so not four five-star hotels. Four hotels, each five stars. Okay, so that's a lot of numbers. Yeah, plus just a shitload of stores. And we went there, and it was like, oh, the water park was crazy. Um, we shouldn't have gone in February. It was a bit cool. They don't have great heating there. It's in central China, so they're like, we don't need, we just need AC. We don't need the heating. Where it's warm here most of the time. Right. It's only cold a couple of weeks of the year. The airports are terrible about that. Like, they don't have heating. Also, it's like fifty degrees outside. It's fifty degrees inside. So, because they just suffer, Peyton. Pretty much. But I made it back. Uh, great stuff. Lots of ideas. Uh, I have photos up on the RPBR Tumblr. RPBR-podcast.tumblr.com. I'll put a link yeah. in the show notes. I, I've been uh, posting pictures of my trip. Yes, on the Facebook. Uh, you should post it to the RPBR Facebook group. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so people can see that. Uh, so anyways, I just want to mention that. So I totally know where you're coming from because I was also like, hey, this would be great for a game. Oh, one thing in uh, Hong Kong. I got to... This is off my bucket list. This is like this is like holy shit! I actually got to do this. I went to the site where uh, Kowloon Walled City was. It's a park now, but they have a little like memorial. Like here's a little exhibit about Kowloon Walled City. Uh, if you don't know what Kowloon Walled City is, get out. Uh, no, it was like one square acre, thirty three thousand people living inside that. It was the densest place on the planet. It was sort of a artifact. Like, there was no rule of law there. The British kind of just like, uh, we don't know that. Uh. And so it became this incredibly, like, complex self-governing community where they figured out how to get lights and electricity. They had their own unlicensed, like, factory or like, workshops. Sure. And, of course, lots of opium dens and triads. And it's fascinating from many points of view. Um, there's a great documentary about it. Uh, that the Wall Street Journal actually just put out. It's like a 15-minute sort of summary about it. And they have a great website where you can, like, uh, 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 tour sort of a map of it, of what it was like. It was torn down in 1997. But um, it's been referenced in everything from movies to novels to video games. Call of Duty Black Ops 1 actually has a whole level set in Kowloon Walled City in the 1960s. And, uh, yeah, it's I got to go there. I got to go to the place where it was. I got to see nice. this. Oh my god! Yeah. Totally I, gonna use I, that in Ruin Guys, I mean, by the way. And I totally got to do the Ghostbusters tr- thing in uh, New York. Oh, very cool, very cool. The, saw the firehouse. Another bucket list thing. Yep. Sorry. And uh, the Gozer Tower, otherwise known as Fifty Five Central Park West. <laughs> okay. With a uh, with like apparently, I think the uh, penthouse of that build of that place is actually available now. Okay. For the low low price of thirty six million dollars. Yeah, there's a whole website on uh, talking about. Uh, places in New York that are more expensive than castles in Europe. Mm-hmm. That would be one of them. Mm-hmm. That's that's really expensive. Well, it's also it's like a it's like a six bedroom condo in yeah. Manhattan. So yeah, it's it's totes expensive. Uh, anyway, we should get to the shoutouts. We should. All right. Um, first off, I would like to mention uh, uh, Showa. A graphic novel manga that I picked up, uh, Showa, nineteen twenty six to nineteen thirty nine. It's a um, autobiographical history of Japan. In there, it's from a famous—I can't remember the guy's name—manga uh, artist who grew up in the nineteen twenties, in thirties, in Japan, and became. Uh, so he's talking about the history of Japan becoming a major power and like life at home versus life abroad, and sort of mixing the com- historical commentary with what it was like growing up being a poor person in Japan in that era. Um, so it's really fascinating. It's like 500 pages too. And 
But it's a fairly quick read because it's a manga, you know, mm-hmm. lots of pictures. So that's really cool. But anyways, uh, Tom, you wondered. Yep, I got a couple of stand-up acts. You know me and I love I love myself some comedy. Yeah. First one I'm going to mention is one of my favorites. Pat Oswalt has a new album out. Yeah. Called uh, Comedy Plus Tragedy Equals Time. Yeah. And um, I'll just say, I think it's the calmest album I've, I, he's done to date. But it's also, you know, once again, it's Patton Oswalt. It's just awesome. Yeah. Every word he says is just amazing. Okay. Very good. Um, <clears throat> speaking of things that are awesome, I would like to mention Night Vale Live. Uh, Ooh, yes. Night Vale Live. We're, this is both went up. We did. There was a showing in St. Louis last month. And so Caleb, Tom, and I went up there. And it's hilarious. It was the episode Librarians. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they will eventually make that available as a paid download. Uh, they've already made the first episode like that condos, condos yeah. which is available which we listen to on the way up there and uh, uh, let me tell you cecil baldwin got like a five minute standing ovation that when he set set foot on stage yeah it was it, he was he got a he very warm audience it wasn't totally sold out but it was a weekday in st louis so like mm. not the strongest but people love cecil baldwin yeah there were people cosplaying there yeah uh, including somebody with a Tan glow jacket. cloud umbrella which i thought was ingenious yeah. so there's a, a guy you know the tan jacket and the, yeah man man the tan jacket um there so yeah it was great stuff uh well worth listening to a guy talk on stage for an hour and a half there was music too so yeah the act before it and yeah there and interspersed as the weather so mm-hmm. um she was very good i can't remember her name but it's on their website so um very very good so you had another comedy yeah and the another one is uh British comedian Greg Davies. Uh, this act, I love the name of the album alone. It's Firing Cheese Balls at a Dog. It, it's on Netflix right now. I highly recommend you check it out. Just because I really like it because he was also originally an English teacher, yeah. English and drama teacher. And so many people in RPPR were were teachers or were studying to be teachers. Yeah, there's we're, we're like overeducated, underambitious uh, academic nerds. Pretty so. much. Uh, yeah. But it's that's what really kind of drew me to it. Yeah, uh, very good, very good. Um, I would like to mention something. I um, this is a Kickstarter I backed. It's already the Kickstarter Kickstarter itself is already completed, but you can pre-order. It's a video game called Darkest Dungeon. I met the developers at. Pax I saw East. the flyer on the table. Yes, mm-hmm. and they. I actually played the demo of their game, and it's a Lovecraftian themed uh, turn-based RPG where the mental health of your characters is just as important as their physical health. So characters can become paranoid, they become fearful, or they become bolstered because they're religious fanatics. There's plague doctors. Uh, it's just, and the art is very, like, stylized. It reminds me a little of Mike Mignola. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nothing wrong early, with that. Early Hellboy art. Yeah, exactly. And it just, I cannot wait uh, to play, I will probably try to arrange an interview with them over her for unspeakable to talk about Lovecrafting and gaming, uh, Lovecraft and gaming. So that's something to look for. Uh, Darkest Dungeon, uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out if you're a video game fan uh, and like. Lovecraft and you are, uh, you know yeah. you are. So, did you want to talk about the raid too, or should I? I have we both talk okay, about the raid too. Okay, why don't you start there? Because, well, let me put it this way. I've often watched movies with Mr. Peyton here. Yeah. And I wouldn't call him judgmental, but he's, it's very, I don't see excitement from him very often. I mean, I'll get like, you know, mostly the time it's like, if he's liking something, it's a, 
it's kind of it's kind of like you know he's examining it like mm, yes mate that's pretty good I approve of this. Watching the raid two with him and I did miss some of it. I had to watch it again because I constantly found myself looking at him. He was like this was like I've never this was like Ross Payton excited and energized in a movie like. The first time I ever saw it was the, from the movie Ghost Ship when the wire yeah. went across. Yeah, I was more innocent back then. I had, he was. Uh, I wasn't as. But this dangerous. was yeah. This was recent, like a few weeks ago. It's of, actually, that's just that yeah. opening scene in Ghost yeah. Ship, and after that, it was it pretty much down. But yeah. in Raid Two, yeah. it was like the whole movie was like that. Yeah. Just the so the fight scenes are. Even I found I found myself. I th- I like to think I'm pretty jaded. Yeah. Like I've seen. I'm watching this. Like, Oh god, this is so fucking awesome! <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, so yeah, if you've seen the Raid Redemption, uh, this is a sequel to that. It takes place pretty much immediately. Like, after. I think it's like two hours. Yeah, after. two hours, and it's just in like there's enough action for like as Caleb put it, like enough action for four or five, of, you mm-hmm. know, very full action films. It's very efficient. Uh, way they they make it sort of more like The Wire. It's a very convoluted sort of tale of betrayal and. You know, crime lords, and ambition, cover, yeah, ambition, um, Shakespearean, and but they brilliantly mix in all these ridiculous set piece action scenes. Uh, I mean, it's like rated R violent martial art fighting. Oh yeah, no, it's um, the. I think the only reason why it's not a major hit in America is because it's subtitled. Like, yeah, it's just like oh, they're uh, Asians and they're not speaking well, yeah, English. It's uh, Malaysian, I think it's yeah. I said Asian. Yeah, that's I, part of. Yes, I thank Mal- you, Ross. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're uh, Indonesian. Yeah, the director is Welsh. Yes, but they're. I but believe they're Indonesian. They they practice the local form salat, S I L A T, which apparently involves brutalizing your your enemy's head with your knee and elbow, mm, or the pavement, or shelves. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of that. Um, I mean, I'll just put this: that first, the fight in the prison yard. Yeah. That was when I knew like exactly what the hell oh, I was getting mud. into. Yeah. yeah, and what's like I've read some commentary about it, and it really works on a number of levels because it's not just a shallow, stupid. There's actually like meaning and uh, mm-hmm. context within it because like as they're starting this fight, like everybody's like where they're wearing clean uniforms, and everything. But it, they it, then the guards come in as they start fighting this muddy, rainy mm-hmm. prison yard, and the mud gets on everybody. You can't tell who's who anymore, and it's just like everyone's getting dirty and corrupted. It reveals the character's own like descent into darkness mm-hmm. as he's trying to be this upright, moral kind of moral person, but to protect his family, he just goes darker and darker. And I will say, best car chase I've ever Holy seen in shit, a movie. That car chase. That. Oh my god. Yeah, so anyways, you just need to see the rage. You need to see it immediately. Yeah, if you can. Um, if it's playing, it's... And, but, and we're not getting paid to say this. This is no, this it, is an unsolicited... It's pretty much like, I'll do this and this and this, and you've got, like, your next 20 action games. I mean, like, damn. So, uh, two more. One is uh, a anthology of stories, which I've started reading, I haven't finished yet, uh, called Sword in the Mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Conan... Style sword and sorcery stores, all featuring Lovecraftian Cthulhu mythos type sure. stuff. Uh, so I got a review copy of it. It's coming out next, it, coming out in May. Uh, but I will, I will read it and then I will review it for the podcast. I just want to mention that I got the copy and it, I've read the first story. It's very good. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. And uh, maybe when you're done, I'll read it too. Uh, yeah, I can send you an ebook copy right now. All right, I'll do it right now. And then we'll both review it. Very good. 
Uh, finally, I also want to mention one one game that I have been playing that has been... Well, I've been playing two games. One is Payday 2, because first-person shooter co-op games are my kryptonite. I cannot fucking stop playing that game, because uh, it's tactical gun hey, porn and mask. Yeah. Hey, syndrome. fair enough. Mine is Skyrim. Yeah. But I love shooting cops and being... Whoa! Yeah, Whoa there, virtually Ross. cops. <laughs> I mean, basically, we're mute. Like in Payday, the bank, the characters you play as are mutants. They can regenerate damage. They have ridiculous resilience to gunfire. They have superhuman abilities. They can shout someone back to life. Basically, uh, if you pick the right skills, they can mind control police. It's pretty ridiculous. But they're facing an army from the elemental plane of cops. Like there's just <laughs> literally. There's and always I, more. Cops. I've seen some let's plays of that, and it does seem like I don't know the cops are like, like, sir, are we considering collateral damage? Fuck no, do it. Yeah, no, literally in levels I've killed hundreds of cops, like in one level, and just like 151 cops, and I was not even like the one who had killed the most cops. So <laughs> that is uh, the elemental plane of cops. It is. They they just evil wizards are summoning endless legions of police. Um, <laughs> clones so that's fun but uh the other game is goat simulator oh jesus you simulate a goat it it is its own beast it, it is literally a beast yeah it is it's a goat beast it's very funny it's very fun especially put it put it on the tv have people take turns playing it and yeah and then use mods and yes there will be mods uh oh, what need, what else needs to be said very much so um. So anyway, uh, anecdotes. Uh, do you want to get started with the fiasco? I think we should. All right. Why don't you? It was uh, what was the name of that scenario again? Uh, it was town and gown. It town was and the gown. Play set, I believe it. Yes. Um. Playbook, whatever you call those. We were. It was basically we were playing. It's corruption at a college. Yes. And all I know is Ross and I were playing campus security. No, none of us were students. We were all yeah. faculty. Well, staff or faculty. Right. And um, Bill, I see. I think Dan was playing a. Uh, I think it was. I'm not familiar with dean of economics. Dean of economics. That was it. And uh, Sean was playing one of the uh, administ- one of the chief administrators. He was playing the lawyer, mm-hmm. the counsel. Uh, and Bill, Bill uh, was the comptroller, and yeah. So what what part of that game really stands out for the anecdote? Uh well. There's so many moments that stand out. Yeah, I mean, the whole game is very convoluted, so we can't really just explain the whole thing. But, like, what was your favorite scene, I guess? Hmm. Was it the monologue driving the nitroglycerin to the site, or was it... I thought it was pretty damn good. All yeah. right, so what was it? What about that? Well... well tell, tell, tell the lizard. Uh, well, I was, like, playing... I'm sorry. Neophyte... Marxist, Marxist revolution. revolutionary. Yeah. Emphasis, I said, on neophyte. I wasn't. I, I'm not very good at it. Yeah, you're basically playing it as like a dr- like a drug dealer slash like lunatic survivalist. Or as I was I, actually, I was kind of going for a uh, Hunter S. Thompson as a violent revolutionary. Yeah, or just an armed thug who liked mm. drugs. Like you've just yeah, it wasn't even ar- like yeah. I casually offered blow and yeah. But there was a scene where I'm driving this barrel, like a 50-gallon drum of nitroglycerin yeah. to the records building where I'm going to plant it and then blow it up. Yeah. And, of course, the thing was I had been planning to do this, Yeah. but then there was then the conspiracy from the other players gave me, oh, I, I have an actual reason to do this now instead of just a whimsy. 
Yeah. And so basically, uh, my scene was I was trying to resolve it. So it was just me giving an internal monologue as I'm driving this van with a barrel of nitroglycerin in it, interspersed with dealing with people in my immediate sight. Like, this person's not in my way. Could you move along? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of doing all but the I'm walking here. All right. That yeah. kind of thing. I like that. I, I really worked hard on it. It was it was it was a thing of beauty. It so. was. Uh so we might post that. I haven't decided yet. Uh you should post it, Ross. Well, we got a lot in the queue right now. So um anyways, to give you I've been playing D D next with Bill's running it. I'm playing a fighter. Uh Sean and Ann and Melissa are in the game as well. And uh, I haven't been recording it, but I don't think I'm going to post those because they're still. It's a playtest of uh, D&D Nest. They're under an NDA, or bill is in order to get them with playtest materials and blah 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 blah. Um, but I will mention we had we've been going along. It's been a basic kind of dungeon crawl thing, kind of humorous, a lot of banter between Sean. Sure, really sure. takes to the banter. Melissa has been pretty good as a druid, and Anne's the you know the quiet but deadly ranger, uh, and. What are though? And so we've been kind of usually we've just been sort of Bill's trying to figure out it's a new new version of D anD D how dangerous the monsters are, you know, sure. what's too easy versus what's too hard. So it's been kind of easy for most of us. But then we get in this one room. Uh, there's a sleeping lizard type monster. I can't remember what it was called. And all around this cave wall, there are giant cave crickets. Like each one's the size of a dog. Mm-hmm. But they're just kind of chilling out there. And so, like, we sneak by because we're afraid of the lizard monster. And we're like, all right, we don't want to have to deal with this fight. So we go on into the next room. We do our thing. And then we come back. And then somebody fails their stealth check. And then everything wakes up at once. And so we we, we go into combat. And so the lizard monster is there. I'm rushing up because I'm playing the fighter. and But then, like, I get critted of first hit, like... Uh, I get tagged twice. Like the thing is, there's like one lizard monster, but then there's eight cave crickets. And the thing is, the cave crick he Bill rolls like three natural twenties in the first round nice. on us as players. Oh sure. So I go down, the wizard goes down, and they're just like, "Holy shit, what are we gonna do?" And we we Bill has to pull the like we kill the lizard monster, and the Bill just decides, "Yeah, I'm pulling the cave crickets back. I don't want to have a TPK where we're where you're all eaten by cave crickets." And I'm kind of like, "Yeah, whatever. I think that'd be funny." But like the other players are like, "Oh my god," because they get their due. This is the first time they've had. Yeah. A super dangerous combat. And I just kind of like the idea of cave crickets doing us in, and so that's become sort of a recurring thing. I was like, oh, why can we train crave crave cave crickets to uh, throw at the the bad guys? Um, so that's kind of the tenor of that game. Yeah, but like yeah. Uh, you know, basic kind of like quest to save the kingdom from an evil and that kind of stuff. And it's been very fun. Uh, Bill's a very good GM, and he's been doing really good about puzzles too. Like mixing in real world puzzles in order to represent puzzles within the game environment, like a mastermind puzzle to rep- to figure out these rooms. Um, then a um, what kind of puzzle? Um, like cryptography, a little cipher mm-hmm. to figure out something else. A very simple one, but he'll we'll, they'll get more. Now we've done the the sort of tutorial dungeon, so we'll, we'll start getting into more real get, shit. We'll get more real. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Caleb and Aaron. Uh, Ruin. Ruin. <laughs> um, this is the first playtest of the game, and Ruin involves architectural horror as a concept, like that. that's the setting for the game, just crazy extra-dimensional ruins. 
uh, populated with horrors from beyond time and space, you know, Silent Hill, House of Leaves, those are the kind of influences. But in during the game, you can, um, there's sort of like my, my, my new game system will be, um, gate character generation during gameplay. So your skills are determined by what you choose to do in the game. So if you, you want to be a fighter, you have to actually go out and fight guys and like mm-hmm. make those kind of choices. Um, if you want to be good at stealth, you have to actually start stealthing around and that kind of stuff. Um, but the thing is, Caleb and Aaron just immediately split up and just go in immediately directions as they're they're trapped in an extra-dimensional ruin and are, oh my god, crazy shit is happening. Um, all I remember is that Caleb was like, God, Aaron, why are you doing this? He's like, Caleb, you're doing the same thing. You immediately ran <laughs> off on your own. You punched a cop and you went in. <laughs> so he, like the one time Aaron's being kind of reasonable, and Caleb is like, just fuck it. I'm just going out and doing this and... I'm a baker, you know, is his character. <laughs> like he named his character, named him uh, Pumpernickel. So he was just a man of action. And so I just like that game because Caleb was being just like Aaron in that game. Um, and they nearly died or went mad. Lovely. But yes. So um, that playtest I'll probably post uh, eventually. But we're definitely going to post Hex Hollow or The Long Lost Friend, uh, mm. the game we've been talking about most of the time. So, um, that kind of wraps up. I think it does. Episode. So, uh, next episode will be episode 100. Wow. We got to do something special with that. Yeah. We'll get drunk and belch to the microphone constantly. Yeah. You listeners, that's the quality you want from <laughs> RPPR. Occasionally we'll say fuck. Oh, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Quality. <laughs> what do we right. do? Or Ross and I will just fight like married, like a married couple. That's pretty much every episode. And dude, if you could hear in the car when we're driving in the car together, yeah, that's what we do as well. Like literally, there'll be a time there'll be like ten minutes of silence, and then Ross will, your face is stupid. It is. Your face is so stupid. How you doing? I'm great. All right. So that's a taste. Yes. Yeah. That the yeah, have we wet your appetite? <laughs> yeah. All right. So this has been RPBR episode ninety nine. Gaming with full table. This is Ross Payton and I'm Tom Church. We'll see you guys next time. Just for Danya. It's a new day. Summer's here, it's time for us to hit the road and face our fears. In the car now, we'll make it somehow. Take a giant step toward dangers from below. Unfold the mystery from ancient history. We'll send the evil back to where it came. Around every turn, there's something new to learn And every stop I think may be our last Tired, and a cold see the great old ones bent on death.
from Sunnyvale to Candle Cove. Better watch out if we're coming near your home.